Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, good morning. How's everybody today? You look good. You sound terrible, but you look good. So you're halfway there. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to have a good time today, and we're going to learn some things. So I want you to put your thinking cap on. I want you to listen fast because we have a lot of, of uh, information to cover today because this is some great stuff. It'll help us. And uh, today is our last sermon in our prayer series. And then two weeks we begin the book of James, just so you know what's going on in the future. And uh, we went through 21 days of prayer, fasting, and meditation. And I've got a confession it was amazing for your preacher. I hope all of you got in on that. I venture to say maybe you didn't, but m- many of you did, and because I'm hearing some great testimonies about how our prayer lives are changing. And uh, I just, t- the title of the series is simply this Prayer is the Key to Heaven's Best. And we live our lives often in the land of good, we la- live in the land of better. But often we miss God's best for our life, and it is because of a lack of prayer. And so what we have seen is Jesus gave what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not his prayer. It's a disciple's prayer guide. It's for you. It's for me. And in that, it teaches us how to pray. The components of prayer, the the things that make prayer uh, active and vibrant and exciting in our life, and, and God's doing a thing in me. Now, I'm excited about Jesus about all the time. I'm excited to preach about all the time. But prayer, it's just something I've never been able to get really excited about. It's just a thing. And I had to repent of that. And I'm here to tell you that God has given me a revival in my prayer life. It's good. And I want to encourage you to dive into it and see how God will hear you, respond to you, and let you uh, move in closer to him at a different level. So prayer changes things. I, I heard this story. There was an old widow lady, and she was poor, and she lived in an apartment. And uh, the end of the month came, and, and she was always praying, man, just praying to God out loud, you know, prayer warrior. And she had a neighbor, and he was just a yahoo, lost. And every time this neighbor would see this old prayer warrior, he'd make fun of her, ridicule her. You know, you old fool praying like that, he ain't listening. And so she, end of the month came one month, and she was out of money, and her government check had not come in. She didn't have any groceries. And so she started praying out loud, God, I have no food, I have no money, but you're a good God. I'm praying, God, that you'll hear my prayers and provide me some groceries. Well, that old bird next door heard her prayer, and he thought, I'll show her. So he went to the grocery store, bought two bags of groceries, and set them outside of her door. And then he waited. Well, this old woman, she came out, found these groceries, and she started praising the Lord. That old lost guy jumped out, and he said, aha. He said, the Lord didn't send those groceries. I did. She snatched them up, went inside, and started praying out loud. Thank you, Lord, for these groceries. I knew you would send them. I just didn't know you was going to have the devil pick them up. Now, now that's what prayer, that's, that prayer is like that. It's real like that. And God is real like that. And he wants to know you like that. He wants you to rely on him and count on him in everything he does. So let's get started. Matthew chapter 6. This is the prayer guide for you from Jesus to you. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the prayer guide. Now, we've covered the first part of that. 
which is designed to help us posture and position ourselves right so we understand God and we know now the, the part that we like better where we get to go before our great God with a big ask of God. Now's the point where we get to ask for the stuff that we need in our life. And I want to tell you right now, God is cool with you asking. God wants you to ask. Tell your neighbor it's okay to ask. God wants us to ask. In fact, he encourages us to ask. He, you remember, our Father which art in heaven, he's your Father. If you're born again, if you're saved, you're a child of God, he's your Father. And it's what fathers do. They hear and they provide. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Scripture says, For a man not to provide for his own, especially his family, he denies the faith and he's worse than an infidel. Now that's bad. Worse than lost. I don't even know what that is. I don't know if it's an extra flame in hell. I, I don't know what that is. But it's, it's bad. Okay, And so a father provides, and God is your father when you are adopted into his family through Jesus, and he wants you to ask. Now listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened now I just want to unpack this a little bit listen the word ask in the Greek is ateo it means to ask request demand or desire the word given is didomai it means to give or bestow or present the words uh, seek is zeteo. It means to seek or look for or search after or to be on watch for or to pursue. The word find is herisco. It means to find, to meet, to discover or obtain. Now the word knock is kruo. It means to knock at the door of a residence. And then lastly the word opened is anoigo which is to open the door. Now, I don't share those Greek words to impress you. I share those Greek words to let you know that what you read is what it means. That God says what he means. He means what he says. And he is telling you in your prayer life, you can ask and you will receive. You can seek and look for answers and you will find. And you can knock on your Father in heaven's door and it will be opened. And on the other side of heaven's door are the blessings of God. It's not prosperity gospel, it's scripture. And we need to learn how to practice the right ask, how to practice the right seek, and how to practice the right knock. Because when we do, God says he will hear and he will respond. And so this is the place now after where, where we're going to learn what it is we can ask for. You see, when we get the first part right, our Father who art in heaven, God, you are my Father. 
You chose to love me and save me through Jesus, your son, our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Your name is great. There is no other name like your name. Your name is Yahweh, the true and living God, the God of eternity past, the God of eternity future, and the God of my now. God, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. God, I I want your kingdom to come into my life. I, I don't want to raise my kingdom to you. I'm inviting your kingdom down into my business. God, I I want your will to be done. It's not my will, it's thy will. God, I surrender to what you want because you're God and you know tomorrow and you have all the information and you love me and so I'm going to trust you with your will in my life. Now, when we get that right, when we understand that, now we're ready to ask and that's what Jesus is going to tell us. So now we're going to look at what we can ask for and I want you to know that little, little children know how to ask. If you've got children or you've had children, you know I'm telling the truth. They know how to ask. A little boy was going to bed and his dad was tucking him in. His dad said, son, it's time to go to bed. Let's tuck you in. He got him tucked in. The little boy said, you know what they say right at bedtime. Daddy, I need a drink. The dad was frustrated. He said, okay, go get you a drink. He got a drink. He came back, got in the bed. He tucked him in again. Little boy said, Daddy, you know what he said? I need to go to the bathroom. Daddy said, okay, son, go to the bathroom. He comes back. He tucks him in. He says, Daddy. Daddy says, what? He said, I need another drink. He said, you're not getting another drink. You stay in this bed till in the morning or I'm going to give you a spanking. So he walked downstairs and he hears the pitter-patter of little feet. He hollers up there. He says, son, I hear you. You get in that bed and you sleep until morning or I'm going to come up there and give you a spanking. Pause. Little boy hollers. Daddy, when you come up here to spank me, will you bring me a drink? They know how to ask. You know what I'm saying? They understand what fatherhood is all about. And so we've got to learn that. God is good with us asking. Who else are we going to ask? Think about all the places where we ask. We ask our boss for a raise. We ask our doctor for healing. And and meanwhile, your father in heaven is saying, hey, I'm right right here. I'm right here. Start with me. Start with me in your ask. And so we've learned already in this prayer guide for the disciple, we've learned about the family of God. We've learned about the holiness of God. We've learned about the kingdom of God. We've learned about the will of God. And today, we're going to learn about the love of God. Sometimes people think that the love of God is some intangible, untouchable, philosophical, ideological thing at a distance. I want you to know that's not God's love. God's love is tangible. God's love is touchable and embraceable and experiential. God's love is demonstrated through what he does for us. And we're going to see three categories of the demonstration of God's love to his children who are adopted into his family through Jesus, his son. So here's the three categories. Category number one, God provides. God provides. He gives us everything we need, okay? The scripture says in verse 11 in the prayer guide that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we're not certain why physical needs are listed first, but we've got some ideas. The first of the ideas is that 
that if you've got a physical need, you're probably not going to be first considering a greater spiritual need. In other words, if you're cold or hungry or hurting, the first impulse is not to pursue God. Your first flesh impulse, because that's what's hurting, is to pursue some kind of physical um, comfort. And, And so Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. Now, It's not just saying that's the only thing you can ask. It's a symbol. It's a type. You see, in biblical days, if you had bread in your household, it was a picture that God's hand of blessing was upon you. He was providing for you. He was sustaining you. Bread was a picture that represented life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so what Jesus is saying is you are okay to ask God about anything that you need to sustain you. You can pray to him about your food, your daily food, and you should. You can pray to him about uh, your job, that God would bless your job. You can pray that God would, pro- would bless your uh, finances. You could pray that God blesses your family. You, everything that you need to sustain your life, you can take to God. And Jesus says, I want you to pray this way. Now, at the same time, food is vital. It's very important. And we have a a ministry called 11B. And 11B is where Oscar and his team take food to the homeless. But they don't take food there to feed them and walk away. They meet a physical need so they could invest in their spiritual need. On Wednesday night and Monday night, I'm very proud of Mindy Jennings and her, uh, her food services ministry. We feed our students, we feed our youth, and we feed our college students and our workers, about 100 people every week. And sometimes people get a little sidetracked, a little confused, and they say things like, well, I just don't think we ought to have to feed people to get them to church. Fine, go eat somewhere else. We don't feed people to get them to come to church. We feed people because they came to church, okay? We're not down on the street corner waving a hot dog at people that drive by. They show up, we feed them. Why? Because when physical needs are unmet, it's hard to get to a spiritual need. And Jesus knew this. And Jesus said, you pray for your physical sustenance. And when you realize I'm the God who will fulfill it, God knows that he stands a better chance investing in your spiritual need. Jesus understood this when he fed hungry people. You know what the Bible says? That he fed about 20,000 people with a borrowed lunch from a kid. You say, 20,000, where'd you get that? 5,000 men. Most people agree that they probably had families. Average family of four, about 20,000 people with a lunchbox. Now, he didn't wave the lunchbox in the neighborhood to get them to come to the hillside. He's teaching and preaching for a long time on the hillside, and they realized all the people were hungry. He fed them because they were there, not to get them there. And so Jesus says, you can pray for food. You can pray for all of the needs in your life because God will hear you. Sometimes we don't pray because we're guilty of the sin of self-sustenance, of self-reliance. I'm, I'm bad about this. I, I can work hard and provide for my family, and, and most of us can. 
But that's not God, what God wants. God's okay with you working and providing for your family. You're supposed to. But he wants to be included. And he wants you to know that at the end of the day, the only thing you bring to the table is him. And all that you have, every gift, every accomplishment, every resource, every dollar of revenue is because God has given you the ability to achieve it. Sometimes people stop praying. But listen, a needy person is a praying person. If you get hungry enough, or if you get to a place where you can't pay your light bill, or your children need shoes and you have no money, or you go to the AMT and it gives you the dreaded announcement, insufficient funds, or maybe you just get laid off and it doesn't seem like anybody's banging the door down to hire you, you will do one of two things. You'll learn to pray or you'll learn to steal. That's the way that looks. God wants you to learn to pray. It's a better avenue and a better answer. God wants to bless your daily provision. He is a God who provides. Now, sometimes what happens is God provides it, and as soon as he provides it, we forget where it came from. That's why Jesus said, I want you to pray for bread every day. I want you to pray for your sustenance, for your daily provisions. I want you to do it every day. Why? Well, first of all, he doesn't want to give us a, a he doesn't want to give us just a boatload of it that he can't really trust us with. He wants us to go to him every day. Now, sometimes we accumulate, we become hoarders. So we 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 pray to God, God blesses us, God gives us, and boy, we just it's, there's more here than what we needed to eat. There's more left here. So what we're we gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna save some. There's nothing wrong with that. Kendra had an uncle, his name was Jerry, very wealthy sitting in my living room before he died he said we were joking about money you can joke about money when somebody else has all the money you know what I mean and so we've joked about money and he said let me tell you something about money he said there's it's not that difficult he said if you make some money and you spend some money and you save some money and you give some money you'll always have some money that's true and it's biblical it's wisdom all right but what we want to do is we want to make some money and we want to spend some money and we want to spend some more money. And then if there's something left, we spend some more. And then we might save a little. And meanwhile, we left out the most important one, to give a little. You see, God gives in abundance to those who have open hands to let it flow through their hands. When we ask from God, God, I want you to bless my provision. Send it to me. I want to be a good steward. I want to be an instrument of yours. Use me to bless somebody else. And God will bless your provisions. That's how he operates. But when we hold tightly, when we get white-knuckled stingy, it begins to turn the flow off of the blessings of heaven. Clark and I were talking about money and how people use it and how people question this, that, and the other thing. And, and he sent me a quote from a great theologian whose name is A.W. Tozier. And A.W. Tozier wrote this, the veil of money has never been about how much money you have, but rather how much money has you? And that's, that's wisdom. That is so true. God's not worried about how much money you do have or don't have. God is concerned about your relationship and your trust uh, uh, of him and your faithfulness and your stewardship with all that has come from him. So let's just praise him a little bit because God provides our every need. Y'all are pitiful praisers, I'm just going to say. And I'm looking around here, and I'm glad not a naked soul rolled up in here today needing clothes. I didn't see any bare feet running around needing shoes. 
I'm looking around, ain't a whole lot of y'all look hungry. God has taken care of your business, all right? And we need to know where it came from. I know you're good at what you do, but God gave you the ability, and we need to praise him because he provides. He gives us everything we need. Category number two, God not only provides now, the, second, the next part of this prayer, God pardons. God pardons. This is where he forgives everything we do. When he provides, he gives us everything we need. When he pardons, he forgives everything we do. And we need pardon, and we're going to see this, why this is such a big deal. In Matthew 6, verse 12, Jesus goes on. He says, now, after you've finished praying for your daily bread, I want you to forgive, to pray, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I don't really like the fact that Jesus doubled down on this and emphasized it. But if you look just a couple of verses, he's going to say a little bit more about forgiveness. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I like that verse. That's sweet enough. But the antithesis is true, which is verse 15. I'm not crazy about it. It says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. I don't even like that. I don't like, I like pardon. I like me some forgiveness. I am a child of God and a product of grace. But I like to get it a whole lot more than I like to give it. That's something I like to be real stingy with. I mean, I can lock on to it and savor it and enjoy it and reap the benefits of it. But then somebody offends me and the tank is empty for giving out. I know you all don't do that, but sometimes your preacher does that. And scripture says when you harbor or hold unforgiveness in your heart, it, it changes the level of God's forgiveness in your life. That's heavy stuff. And so we need to understand more about this word forgive or uh, debtors or trespasses. In the Bible, the word for forgive is ephemi. It means to remit, to forgive, or pardon. Now, what happens when we, uh, when we are forgiven? When we're forgiven first, it unlocks, excuse me, when we forgive other people, it unlocks the forgiveness of God in our direction. Number two, when we forgive other people, it lets us begin to realize how big a deal it is to forgive. We begin to taste and chew on the idea of forgiving like God forgave you when Jesus, his son, died on a cross. Thirdly, when we forgive other people, it keeps us from anger and, and tension and from harboring hard feelings. You know, research shows that one of the greatest causes of hypertension and some of the sicknesses that our world has is a product of harboring unforgiveness. Just letting things gnaw at us and, and, and we get ulcers and we get anxiety all because of just not letting things go. Fourthly, uh, forgiving others is a demonstration to the world that God's forgiveness has changed our life. And so forgiveness now, it's not, we, we, sometimes we take it for granted and we don't give it the value that it deserves. I want to share three things real quickly about forgiveness. It is the most significant thing God has ever done. It is the most blessed thing that God has ever done. And it is the most difficult thing that God has ever done. Listen, if you will, significant because when forgiveness comes into your life, it impacts your past from the penalty of all of your sin. When pardon comes in, the penalty of your past goes out. Number two, when pardon comes in, it impacts your present. 
When pardon comes in, the power of sin on your life is removed. It no longer has you in a curse and in a stranglehold. You no longer are bound to that sin. You've been liberated. And so it sets you free from the power of sin in your life right now. Right now, if you're a child of God, you do not sin because sin has power over you. You sin because you choose not to walk in freedom. The third thing is that pardon impacts our future by raising us up out of the presence of sin in heaven. Isn't it good to know? You know what I hate more than anything in this world? Sin. I mean, it's got all kinds of flavors, but I hate them all. And it separates us from God in heaven. There'll be no sin. And because there's no sin, there's no sickness, no dying, none of the, no tears, no sorrow, none of the things, the tentacles that go with, with the, that are byproducts of sin. Because in heaven, we are removed from the absolute presence of sin. It is 100% victorious. Now, it's blessed because when pardon comes in, it allows Jesus to be our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit to be in our life. It's the, it's the catalyst for that to happen. When pardon comes in, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. When pardon comes in, we now have a relationship, a personal relationship with the God of the universe as our Father. And then lastly, when we allow pardon to come in, we have a relationship with others of like spiritual conditions. Condition. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the church is. Sometimes people say, well, I went there and I just didn't. You know, I just didn't feel welcome, you know. Well, if you're lost, you won't. Or maybe it's not the place God has for you. But when, we're, when pardon comes in, we have a church family to, to be in relationship with, to walk in this life with. Thirdly, pardon is the most difficult thing that God ever did. It cost God his only begotten son upon a bloody cross. It cost Jesus his personal lifeblood, his body and his sacrifice. And so God's pardon of our sin changes everything. Forgiveness is the place, pardon is the place where man meets God. Okay? Now I want to be clear about this. It's not the place where God meets you. God whispered you. God knit you. God purposed you and planned you and formed you and designed you and desired you. No mistakes with God. God knows you, but pardon is the place where you meet God. You see, when you're living in sin with unconfessed, unforgiven sin in your life, you can't have a relationship with God. But when you're forgiven and pardoned of all of the things you've done wrong, now all of a sudden you can meet with God. That's a beautiful thing. In Romans 3.19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This scripture is talking about there's some people who don't acknowledge their own sinful condition to a place where they receive pardon, forgiveness, and salvation. They adopt the mindset like the Jews of the Old Testament did, that if I can do good enough... It'll overcome my bad enough. In other words, if I can at the end of the day have a set of scales and my, my good outweighs my bad, then I'm in with God. That is a lie from the devil. That is absolutely untrue. The scripture says if you have failed and not accomplished one law, you're guilty of them all. You see, one sin makes us guilty. 
not a little guilty, 100% separated from God and guilty because God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. There is no blemish in him. And so we must be pardoned. We must be forgiven. And you say, well, I'm not a Jew. I don't believe that way. It, okay, everybody is a sinner. I'm looking right here in a church full of sinful people, right? And you're looking at a stage full of sinful preacher. Fair enough? We're in the same boat. All of us are sinners. Now, I'm saved. I'm born again, but I still commit sin. The Bible says if, if we say we do not sin, we lie, okay? We're all sinners. I'm not judging you. I'm, you're not judging me. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. We're all in the same boat outside of Jesus. Until Jesus comes in, we're sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all. That means you, means me, means us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when I share scripture with you, I'm not judging you. And when you share scripture with me, you're not judging me. You are sharing what God has already judged. You're sharing what God has already declared. Now, what makes God's pardon so great? Are you ready? It works. Unlike the vaccine, this thing works. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you think it works? <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> it don't work. It don't work. Yeah, but it's, the consequences aren't as bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not going there. I already did. It works. Pardon works. It matters not what variant of sin shows up. What, what variation, what variegated flavor of sin showed up in your life, pardon erases it. Pardon removes it. This is good news. I got stuff in my life. I said before, I'm ashamed. I don't like. Pardon covers it all. You've got junk in your life I never tasted of that you should be ashamed of, right? That same pardon erases your sin. You can't start tomorrow trying to fabricate a new variation of sin that pardon can't cover. Jesus' blood on a cross erases all of our sin when it's applied to our sin. And so the reason... God's pardon is so important is because it doesn't matter what sin it is. He pardons it. That's good news. So then we need to understand about sin. Let's talk about sin. Churches don't like to talk about sin today. You know, it could offend somebody. Churches don't like to talk about blood these days. But it's the blood and only the blood that can save us. People don't want to talk about being saved today. But... Until people know that they're lost and need a Savior, they'll, they'll spend an eternal destiny separated from God in a place called hell. We need to talk about hell. We need to talk about, but not every week. I don't need to come in here and talk about hell every week. But I better not leave it out of my preaching, okay? And you better not leave it out of your hearing and your conversations. So let's, under, let's unpack sin. In the Greek, we've talked about, there's, there's really, it gets really detailed. Lots of words for the same thing. Well, when it comes to sin, there's three primary words that, that will define it, help us understand it. The first one is, is heart, uh, hamartia, okay? Now, this one is an archer's term, you know, bow, bow and arrow. The archer's term, hamartia, says when we sin, it's like an archer shooting at a target who misses the mark. 
He doesn't just miss the bullseye. The arrow doesn't even make it to the target. It's like, here's the target, and it's like, meow, and it lands short. It's coming short of the mark. And, and, and that's one area of our sin. And, and we do that. It's, no matter how hard we try to live for Jesus, okay, we're going to come up short. We're going to miss the mark that God has placed before us as a perfect follower of Jesus. The second one is called parabasis. This word is probably, I'm probably more guilty of this one. This one means to step across the line. This is, this is where God draws a line in the sand and says, don't come over here. I was putting a message together and two things happened in my life and I realized Parabasis, King Parabasis, right here. You know what it was? I was somewhere and they just sowed, they just planted grass and they had some straw over it and had a string around it and they had a sign that says, do not step in this grass. And it rose up. You know what I want to do? I want to waller in that grass. I mean, it, I may not have to go stomp around in it and do a rain dance, but everything in me is you may want to, just a little bit of that, you know? And then I came to church. We have somebody who does some painting. And I noticed some handrail had been painted with, with oil-based paint. What do I do? Don't touch the paint. You don't. Anybody? I'm the only one who does that. Liars in the church. You know it rises up. That's parabasis. When God draws a line and we just step over. You know, it's like, it's like all of a sudden, I'm driving down the road. You know, all of a sudden, and and, and, and something, it says, do not do this. Here's one, merge. What does that even mean? Do I merge now or like when the lines come together? Which point I'm supposed to, I like the lines coming together. That's where I merge. The third one is called this, anomia. Anomia is to break the law by choice and rebellion. In other words, to know the law and to choose not to do it. Scripture says that we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And I'm pretty good about that, except in my car. I can get on the interstate, and the speed limit says 55. I wish we lived in Germany, and everything was the Audubon Freeway. Okay? And it says 55. And there's something in here that does not have 55. There was a rock song once upon a time, I can't drive 55. That's me. So I do 55, that means I can do 57. And I feel a little conviction. And then when I'm doing 62, I feel a little more conviction. You know? That's, that's, what, that's what this is. That, you, know we, you know we do that. That's who we are. And we, and, and we even begin to defend our position. And we say, well, I know a lot of police officers, and they'll tell me that as long as I'm not doing, you know, I can do 75 and a 65. I can do, you know, almost 80 and a 70. You know that's true, don't you? You're safe doing that. But that's how we justify being disobedient to the laws of the land. You know, we find a reason. And meanwhile, God is saying, you miss the target, you cross the line, you continually choose to obey, you know, disobey. You know what you need? Pardon. And that's why pardon is such a, a beautiful thing. Now, what is pardon and forgiveness from God? What's the extent? What, what's the parameters of that? What does that look like? Are you ready? This is good. This is what God does. 
to and with and for your sin. He doesn't stick his head in the sand and ignore it. In Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this is what he does when he pardons your sin. Hebrews 8, 12, he says, I will remember your sins no longer. Micah 7, 18, I will pass by your iniquities and I will bury them in the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, 12, I will cast your sins as far as the east is to the west. 1 John 1, 9, if you will confess your sins, I will forgive you and cleanse you. God pardons, he forgives everything we've done. I think we need to praise him a little bit for that. Hopefully you get more excited about this. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Because of pardon, I'm not going to hell. Because of pardon, I'm spending, spending an eternity with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and God, my Heavenly Father, and those of us who enter into heaven together because of that same gift of pardon. That's what pardon looks like. Thirdly, the third category Jesus tells us to pray about is God protects. God protects. He is the caregiver against everything evil for his children. This is really powerful and amazing. Verse 13 of Matthew says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I need you to kind of lean into this because this, this is kind of hard to, when we read it, we say, so God tempts us? Because if we're asking him not to tempt us, then does that mean if we're not asking him not to tempt us, then he's naturally, his natural default is to tempt us? That's what it sounds like. It's not what it means at all. It's much bigger than that and much better than that. So, so we need God to protect us from our enemy. We can't do that on our own. Salvation, my salvation and your salvation and any salvation is 100% by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone. That's it. It's not grace and me being good, I'm saved. Grace plus anything else won't get you anywhere. It's grace alone. So what happens, it happened early in the church. The Pharisees said, so grace is how you get this thing fixed with God, huh? So Paul, you're saying when we receive grace, we're going to heaven no matter what we do. Paul says it's absolutely true. And I'm telling you right now, if I go out here today and murder somebody, I'm still saved because I'm under grace, okay? But I want you to understand something. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is a certificate of freedom. Grace doesn't say, now I can sin all I want to because I'm under grace. I'm forgiven and pardoned. No, no. Grace is a certificate that says, man, what Christ did for me has liberated me. I am no longer bound to sin. I am free to be delivered from sin. And so what we do sometimes is we begin to fight spiritual battles in the flesh and we lose. Let me give you an example. Scripture says, there is therefore now no temptation taken you, but such as is common to all men. But God is faithful and he will make a way of escape. Now what we do, let's say there's a sin that, that just kind of plagues us. It could be anything. It could be gossip. It could be lying, it could be overeating, 
It could be pornography. It could be alcohol. It could be uh, any other substance. It just kind of haunts us. We, we want to get out of it. We just can't seem to do it. Here's why. Because that temptation overtakes us when we're walking in the flesh. Flesh is no battle in a spirit. Flesh is no opponent in a spiritual warfare. So what we do in the flesh is we buy into some silly idea, the power of positive thinking, the little train who could. Yeah, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Let me just answer that. No, you can't. Not in the flesh. And so it should, if we're going to chant that, let's say, I know I can't, I know I can't, I know I can't, but I know somebody who can. And he'll set you free. Now in Ephesians... Chapter 6, it, it nails the fact of why we sin, of why we fall to temptation. It's because we fight in flesh. And your flesh and my flesh always wants to satisfy flesh. And the spirit in us, the renewed, regenerated spirit, has to rise up and begin to fight back against our flesh desires. In Ephesians 6.12, this is how big this, war, this battle is. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's not what we're fighting here. It's much bigger. It says, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It's bigger than a flesh battle. We have to fight spiritual battles in the spirit. Jesus put this in there. He says, Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Because Jesus knows. Jesus stared Satan in the face, and he battled him and was victorious on the mountain of temptation in Matthew chapter 4. So, does God tempt us then, Pastor? No. He cannot. He will not. How do I know? It's found in this little book written by the half-brother of Jesus that we're going to begin in two weeks. Here's what he says in James 1.13. It says, let no one say when he's tempted that I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted, each one, you, me, we're tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own evil desires our own flesh desires it says in verse 15 then when when this desire conceives it gives birth to sin and when sin is full grown it gives birth to death so do not be led astray Jesus said this in Matthew 26 he told his disciples watch and pray lest you enter into temptation God cannot God will not tempt so then what does this mean? Lead us not into temptation. Well, temptation is the word parasmos. And, and, and there's three words found in the Bible that are all under this same word. It's temptation, trial, and test. And they are used interchangeably and, and they're interlinked. And so our prayer is lead us not into temptation because that's the end result of failure to trials and tests. Now let me explain. So the enemy watches your life. He watches your decisions. He watches what you seem to enjoy, your proclivities, the things that kind of have you, the way you're wired. And then he begins to present before you trials and tests. Now the trials and the tests are allowed by God to make you stronger, 
they're, they're allowed by God's sovereign, permissive will to be put in your presence, not to destroy you, but to develop you. Not to make you weaker, but to make you stronger. To help you begin to exercise your spiritual muscles, okay? Now, God watches, he allows it, and when we receive that test or that trial and we fail at it, it leads to a full-blown temptation that we receive. Now, all three of those, test, trial, and temptation, they always have one of two results. A temptation either has victory or failure. A trial either has success or loss. A test in school, you either pass or you fail. And they're progressive. And so what Jesus is saying is, God, I know me. And you know me. Don't allow any test. Don't allow any trial into my life that you know that I will respond poorly and it will be turned into a temptation because I don't want to let you down. You can, you can test me to make me stronger. You can trial me to make me better. But God, you know my limitations. Don't lead me down that path where I'm going to disappoint you with sin. What a, what a life where every day we just say, God, I don't want to I don't want to disappoint you today. I'm going to start my day. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to you. I, I'm, I'm going to spend my day for you every day. But I'm just worried about this very day right here. I don't want to disappoint you, God. That's the emphasis of this prayer because Jesus knows your enemy. He knew that your enemies was, was so conniving, he convinced a third of the angels to follow him to a better plan and get ejected from heaven. Jesus knows that your enemy went into the garden as the craftiest of all beings and convinced Adam and Eve, walking with God in perfect harmony, convinced them that he had a better plan. God, uh, Jesus knows your enemy. And so in, in Scripture, this is your enemy. This is, the big, this is the bigness of who he's warning us about. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, believers, and alert your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl looking for someone to devour. He's not playing. John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not uphold the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks, he speaks according to his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. And Genesis 3, 1, the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And so today we need to understand that God warns us. Jesus warns us, pray to be strengthened in the spirit so that we will not sin against him. And so sometimes what we do, oh, that sounds good, preacher, but I don't, I, I'm doing pretty good. In fact, when I look around it, at some of the sins, man, that people commit, I'm, I'm appalled. I mean, like, how could you ever do that to 
your family? Or how could you ever do that to, you know, at, at your job? Or, or how could you ever choose to do that in your life? And all of a sudden, pride has risen up within us. And Scripture tells us in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. James 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit to God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you and draw near to God so he will draw near to you. Jesus knows how easily it is to get entangled in sin. He's been watching us since the beginning of humanity. And he's saying, people of God, you better pray every day that God will give you strength for every temptation, every trial, and every test. Now, this prayer finishes up. And it says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Your Bible may not say that. This scripture is not in every translation. There are manuscripts, old manuscripts, historic manuscripts that... that question whether it should be in scripture whether it's in there or not it's true you see Jesus said I'm going to show you how to pray I want you to understand child of God you bring nothing to the table unless you're sandwiched in between the bookends of the greatness of God the greatness of God that's where we're at when we pray we pray to our father in heaven we pray to the greatness of his name. To him, when he answers your prayers, never let it be about you. When he answers your prayer, let it be about the glory and the power of a God so good that he just chooses to love the unlovable, and that's us. Now, I want you to know firsthand, God is listening to our prayers right now. When you pray, if you prayed this week, and I, and I pray that you prayed, and when you pray this coming week, and I pray that you pray, I want you to know God is listening. His ears are tilted to the prayers of the righteous in Jesus. I want you to know he's answering prayers. I shared with the staff at a leadership summit a couple Saturdays ago. I said, listen, it's 2022. That's a lot of twos. I'm praying that God doubles down on what he's done in the life of our church. I'm praying that, he, that I'm able to double down in commitment to him and fervency for him and obedience to him and, and, and that I'll lead and feed better. I'm diving in. I'm praying. And so Friday, I get a, a text from Ashley Arnold, who is our director of children. She says, God's hearing your prayers about this whole Dublin thing. She said, we got 58 kids for parents' night out. And it's normally in the mid-20s. <laughs> I said, sorry. But I'm praying for leaders, too, to sustain it. Then Kelsey and Clark had a lock-in. That's where you stay all night with students. I'm just going to tell you, they're of the devil. Not Kelsey and Clark, lock-ins. Evil, evil. You go camp out with, was it 42, 44? 42-ish or 40s, middle schoolers, no deodorant. <laughs> High schoolers, too much deodorant, okay? You go hang out with them all night. You'll agree with me. They're willing to do it. Normally, they have about 20-something. They had 40-something. God's doubling down. I'm praying that in this service, 
We start having 500 people in this service and 150 in the early service. And while we're meeting in here, I'm praying for 200 kids in the back. And you know what God's doing? Fertility. He's sending them. Almost every week, I get a picture of a little baby in a womb. It's amazing. God's sending. God's listening. So, woke up at 4 o'clock one morning this week, and I, I did my prayer journal because I'm a journaler now. And I'm typing it. I'm about two and a half pages deep, single space. It's just good. I'm having a good time. I'm not, I'm not down. I'm just a lot of stuff going on. I'm just praying hard for some stuff. I got stuff, right? You got stuff. God says, bring me your stuff. I'm praying my stuff. And I finished. I said, thank you, Lord. Got a shower. Came over. Here's dark. Started doing sermon prep. And uh, I'm doing sermon prep. And I don't know why. I just looked up. And all the houses over in Stratford Place and Sturkey and this area down here, anywhere there was a white house, all of them were like peach colored. I'm like, man, the whole city's on fire. And so I just went outside to check the fire out. And on the way out the door, I had my phone. I thought, I wonder if it's the sunrise. And I go out there. I want you to dim the lights for me. And this is what I saw. That's from the parking lot. And you know what God said to me? I got this. I got this. God reminded me. For about 6,000 years, I've been, I've been doing this every day. Every day. And until I return and make all things new, you can count on me. I've been doing this every day. And then it's like he said, if I can do this, I can do that. He says, so you can bring your stuff. I'm going to show you some of my stuff. I want you to know <laughs> his stuff's a whole lot bigger than your stuff. And Romans tells us we're without excuse. The invisible nature of God is revealed through his creation. And if you feel distant from God and you feel like God's not listening, you just go outside and watch the sun come up. And God will tell you, I do this. And no matter what your need is today, no matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus, he does this, and he wants to bring you to bring your stuff to this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and, and maybe you're here today. Man, it's, it's, maybe you're just intrigued that maybe God is that real and cares that much, but you just don't feel close to him. Maybe today it's because you simply need to come to Jesus needing provision. And maybe the provision you need today is not bread, but the bread of life. Maybe what you need today is pardon. And maybe what you need is God to protect your mind and your soul and your spirit from the evil lies that have penetrated into your world. Maybe today is the day. Scripture says this could be your day of salvation. Maybe this is the day that you just say, God, I don't think you're my father, but I want that to change. I bring all of my brokenness into all of your perfection, and I'm asking you for the grace found in Jesus to be applied to my life. I want you to save me because I sure can't save myself. And from this day forward, 
I want your Holy Spirit to give me strength to begin a real life living for a real God who is now my Father in heaven. Maybe you're here today and you've already done that. Maybe today you just need to know God is listening to your prayers. And God wants to reveal himself to you in a mighty, mighty way. And you just need to commit to praying to him every day and pursuing him. Because he told us, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will surely find. And if you knock, the door will be opened to you. Father, you're so good. I just thank you for being such an amazing God. We live in a world of confusion and calamity and chaos and difficulty and heartache and sorrow and sickness and broken, well, brokenness. But God, at the, at the end of it all, you're still on your throne. And you're screaming in our direction through your, net, your creation that you are still God. And you still do great things. Help us begin to pursue you, not searching for your hand, but to experience the heart of who you are. We thank you for being so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're here today and you need to be saved or you just prayed to be saved, I'm going to be standing over here. I want you to come and tell me about that. I want to pray with you. That's all. And I want to encourage you, if you got saved today, or maybe you got saved in the past, but you've never been baptized, you need to, that's the first step of obedience with Jesus. Next week, we're having a baptism service. Just let me know about it, and we'll get you the information and get that taken care of. And maybe today, if you just need to make a recommitment to the Lord Jesus, we have altar pads up here. You can come and pray. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond as the Holy Spirit leads. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.